Reading is taken from uh, 1 Kings 19, verses 9 to 18. This can be found on page 346 of your Green Bible. That's page 346, 1 Kings 19, verses 9 to 18. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. But I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Should we pray before we start? Father, we want to thank you for this word. We thank you for the scriptures, for all the ways in which you convey your truth through them. And Lord, we want to pray that you would be here now by your spirit as I speak. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to each one of us through this word. And ask, Lord, that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. What a treat to be here. It's, um, it's my first visit to St. Dinah since uh, Tim was inducted or whatever it is, the word is, when um, he first arrived. Um, I worked with Tim from 1996 um, for a little while and then worked with Lisa for a little while. Uh, I never actually worked with Will, but I made him volunteer enough to consider the fact that I will have worked with him. Um, I made him work, anyway. Um, so it's a real treat to be here and um, see St. Dee's in action. Um, when Will asked me to speak on um, hearing God's voice um, this morning, my key challenge was um, finding a passage to work from. And that isn't because I couldn't find one, but because the Bible is just rammed full of examples of God speaking to his people. From Adam in the garden to John in Revelation, the Bible is one long discourse about God talking and people responding or not responding uh, in many cases to his voice. And the Bible is clear that hearing God's voice is a key element of the Christian walk. 
But when we start to discuss the subject of hearing God's voice today, for many of us it brings up so many concerns, doesn't it? It, it sort of makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Concerns over whether we can hear him, whether it's possible for us to hear his voice now. Concerns over what might happen if we mishear or misinterpret what we hear him say and then pursue the wrong route for our lives. Or we believe that maybe seeking to hear God's voice for ourselves is a little bit too kooky for southwest London um, or a bit supernatural and surely we should be satisfied with hearing God through our study of the scriptures, which of course is right, we do. And of course, all of these concerns are entirely legitimate. Um, if we, they're all fears, legitimate fears that we have around hearing God's voice. But if we're honest, don't we hunger to hear God's voice? To really know the intimacy we know is possible that with God and with a God who is alive and real and involved in our day-to-day lives. And yet so often, proactively seeking to hear God's voice is something we tend to neglect. Elijah in this passage, as Will explained, is despondent. He's performed this big, dramatic miracle, demonstrating the Lord's power and authority over Baal. And, um, and yet his plan has failed. He hasn't managed to turn the Israelites back to God. And in fact, they're pursuing him. They are trying to kill him. And he'd been over-optimistic about what he himself could achieve. And now he's feeling really despondent about the future. He wants answers, and he goes looking for the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to reveal myself to you. Now, partly why I love that passage is I find myself in that situation very often. Not that I've called down fire from heaven on a pagan altar, but... But just that I find myself in the situation where I think, oh, I've done so much and I've tried so hard. It doesn't seem to be working. And I really need to hear God's voice. But what I find amazing about this passage is God reveals his power in this passage. He sends a hurricane. It says a wind, but it's a wind that moves rocks. So I'm calling that a hurricane. And he sends an earthquake and a fire. It's dramatic stuff. But the Lord isn't in those things And Elijah finds the Lord in a gentle whisper. And I love the way that for all the drama of this passage, the source of Elijah's comfort and direction and his new start is a gentle whisper, or as the King James Version calls it, the still small voice of God. That's what penetrates his heart. In a way that all the dramatic shows of lightning and forces of nature can't. It's that tender, authoritative voice of the Heavenly Father that pulls Elijah out of his despair. And that's been my experience too. When God speaks, he penetrates our hearts. And we know it's his voice when it does. And we all need to be hearing God's voice regularly to retain our hope in him, our relationship with him, and a confidence in our walk with him and all that he's calling us to do. It's not much of a relationship if the talking all goes one way. We've all got friendships like that, where the talking goes one way, and they're not great. We need to talk to him, but we also need to hear his voice. 
Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the word comes in that sentence is actually in the present continuous. And it should really read, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that is continuously pouring forth from the mouth of God. God is speaking all the time. His words are continuously pouring forth. So why don't we all find that to be our experience? Well, I suppose our, our challenge to us today is just to ask ourselves again, are we listening? Are we listening in the confidence of the truth of that, of the truth that he is speaking? And do we live in the knowledge that we are his sheep and we do know his voice, as Jesus tells us in John 10? So, we're just going to look at four quick things this morning. Um, How does God speak? What does he say? How do we listen? And how can we be sure it's his voice we're hearing? So firstly, how does God speak? Well, we find God in the Bible speaking to his people in so many ways, remarkable ways, and sometimes in the ways that he doesn't choose to speak to Elijah in the passage um, that we read today. For example, Moses heard God in the burning bush. It was through the fire in the burning bush that he heard the Lord. And we find accounts over and over again in the Bible of ways in which God speaks to his people um, in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways. There are angelic revelation and visitation when you're asleep or awake. Both are an option. Um, There's the audible voice. Um, We know that Saul heard an audible voice from Jesus saying, why do you persecute me? Uh, He speaks in visions and trances and dreams, and all of these are recounted um, throughout the Bible and uh, in big concentration in the book of Acts. And I'm sure many of us could tell stories of ways in which God continues to use all of these means to speak to his people today. I know I've met many people that have experienced at least one of these things. But so often, God still uses the still, small voice or that gentle whisper to speak to us. So how does that work? Well, in 2 Timothy, it tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. So it shouldn't be unusual or remarkable for us to find ourselves hearing that still, small voice as we read our Bibles. We all know, I'm sure, the way a verse can leap out at us as we're reading it and connect with what's on our hearts. In remarkable ways and we feel the Holy Spirit empowering that scripture in a new way and that's the where the excitement of reading scripture lies not in um, just understanding the the technicalities of how it works but in really hearing God in scripture but I think it's important for us to know too that God doesn't only use scripture to talk after all he's the creator of all things He has every resource in heaven and earth available to him to speak to us through. We might see a piece of art or a piece of advertising. We might read a novel or hear a piece of music that connects with our hearts. And like the still small voice did for Elijah, it penetrates our hearts and becomes the way that God conveys what we need to hear. And for me, um, one of the most profound ways that God over and over again in my life has um, really spoken to me in ways that has connected and changed me 
has been um, actually through secular music, not even Christian music. Horrifying, I know. Um, but yes, secular music. Um, and this is where I have to confess my, um, my passion for easy listening. Um, in, um, in 1998, um, my father w had been ill for some time, but we didn't know what was wrong with him, and he was um, attached to my earring. Um, he was suddenly diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. It's a very aggressive form of leukemia. And of, as you might imagine, it came as a huge shock. Um, I was in my 20s. It seemed a little young for my father to be in um, that much sickness. And it was a really traumatic time for our family because he was so ill so fast. And uh, every day I was living in Tooting. He was um, in the hospital in Epsom where, where I grew up. And every day I would get into the car at the end of the working day and drive down um, to see him in hospital. And during that period, um, there was a song in the charts by a group called the Lighthouse Family. It's not cool. Um, uh, but there was an amazing way in which this song connected with where I was at at the moment. It was a song called Hi, and I will read you lyrics. I hate reading lyrics, but I'm going to read lyrics. Um, it says, the, the first verse, was, or first line was, when you're close to tears, remember, someday it'll all be over. One day we're going to get so high. Though it's darker than December, what's ahead is a different color. One day we're going to get so high. At the end of the day, remember the days when we were close to the end and wonder how we made it through the night. The end of the day, remember the way we stayed so close till the end. We'll remember it was me and you. They're cheesy pop song lyrics, but for me at that time, there was a moment, I remember the first time I heard it in the car, I thought, gosh, this is exactly where I'm at and this is how I'm feeling. And it felt like God was saying, remember, this is me and you, and one day, this is all going to be over, and we're going to get so high. Not language I was familiar with him using, but nonetheless, it resonated. And I remember the first time I got into the car, I thought, gosh, that's amazing. And I thought, maybe that's God speaking, but probably not. It's in the charts. But pretty much every day when I drove down to the hospital over that three-month period, the song would come on the radio, and I'd have this little internal smile to myself, in the middle of streaming tears very often as I left the hospital. But it always come on, on the way there and on the way back, I would get the song. And it was my way of feeling reassured that God was with me. I felt him speaking to me through that. Fast forward four years, um, and I got a, a phone call from my mother early one morning um, with the horrifying news that my niece, Lucy, had died. And she was 17 months and there was no accounting for the reason why she had died. She just hadn't woken up one morning. And my, um, my mother was calling to say, um, my sister, uh, your sister doesn't want to see anyone except for you. Um, I need you to go over and, and see her. And I remember walking down to the car, praying, going, I really haven't, I'm really not sure I've got this in me. What on earth am I meant to say to my sister who has no faith? What am I meant to say in this situation? And I got into the car, and I turned on the engine, and as I turned on, the radio came on with a song, The Lighthouse Family, Hi. 
And it was a remarkable moment because that was my song with God. And I really felt like God was saying, yep, even now, even now, we're back in that situation, but even now I'm here. I had a horrible day, probably one of the worst days of my life, with my sister, waiting for her husband to come home from a business trip and um, just sitting miserable um, while doctors and police and, and people flooded through the house. And uh, when my brother-in-law arrived home, I, I left the house and uh, got into the car, different radio station, same song. And this is not a song that was in the charts anymore. This was four years later. And again, although I, the grief remained so real and so big, um, it was such a comfort. Um, I helped out um, my sister and brother-in-law plan the funeral, which was in a church in, in Mayfair. And we went to see... Um, the priest um, there about how we were going to run the funeral um, a few days later. And the whole thing was just a horrible, horrible situation. And uh, as we came out of the church, my sister said, I need a gin and tonic. And um, I wasn't going to stop her. So um, we went to the local pub and uh, ordered our gin and tonic. And um, as we sat there, the song came on the PA system, and I thought, gosh, this is so kind of God. He is just reminding me again and again and again. I'm still here. We're still singing the song. And um, anyway, the song came on the radio, and my sister said, it's so funny they're playing this song because um, when Dad died, every time I got in the car to drive down to the hospital, this song would come on the radio. And I really felt like it was the universe. This is my unbelieving sister. The, the universe telling me that it was all going to be okay. <laughs> And I pretty much fell off my bar stool. I couldn't believe it. She said, and our sister-in-law had exactly the same thing at the same time. She said the same thing, that when she was driving to the hospital to see Dad, that every time she, that she drove down, she'd hear this song. So, of course, I burst into tears on the spot, as is my want from time to time. And um, I said, well, actually, this is my God song. This is my God song. This is how God tells me he's with us. And I told her about the time I, I got in the car to come and see her when we just found out that Lucy had died. And so that song was played at Lucy's funeral as her coffin left the church and has become a really profound song for the way that my family, none of whom are Christians, somehow understand that God is involved in, his, in their lives. God uses whatever means it takes, even heart FM, to penetrate our hearts. He speaks in all kinds of ways. So what kinds of things does he say? Well, in my experience, and, and I've just given you an exception to this rule, God often speaks to us for someone else. So often when God speaks to us, it's not for, it's not for us to hear, it's for someone else. And I think it's actually quite hard, or, but by, by no means impossible. But it's difficult to hear for ourselves. Um, but I think God is very generous, and he loves making us interconnected as members of his family. And he speaks um, for other people. And that's how he often works with his gifts, isn't it? Our gifts of healing are often for other people. Um, our gifts of teaching are for other people. And often what you find God saying is I love you in whatever way he feels the need to express that. Normally, that's what he's saying. Um, but I, in my experience, 
he's often saying that in much more specific ways than we give him credit for. And he likes us to know that we are known deep down, that we're really, really known. So just a few of the kinds of things that God tends to say. Well, firstly, he speaks to encourage and comfort and strengthen us. That's what was going on when he kept playing me that song, was he was seeking to encourage, comfort, and strengthen. And in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. God says to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, so often when God speaks, he's speaking for our encouragement and comfort and strength. The second thing he tends to do is to demonstrate his personal concern. He wants you to know that he is involved deeply in your life. Again, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of our hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. God speaks to us to reveal to us that he knows who we are. We see it when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. He reveals all kinds of things to her that he couldn't possibly have known unless God had revealed it. Um, I uh, have got two friends who, um, uh, before they start work, always pray together. And another colleague who is not a Christian uh, had asked if she could join them in this prayer time, which they were a little bit surprised about, but delighted. And while they were praying, one of the girls um, who was a Christian said, um, Sarah, I have, a, um, I have a word for you. I have a picture for you. Uh, you're learning to swim, uh, but you're not in a pool as such. You're in a tank, which has a current in it, and you're swimming against the current. And I don't know what it means, but that's the picture I've got. And Sarah, who is not a Christian, said, well, actually, I am learning to swim at the moment, and I'm learning to swim in a tank with a very strong current. <laughs> and nobody knew that. She kept it very quiet because it's such a strange thing to do. Um, but God revealed that he knew that to the girl that, he was, um, that she was praying with. And she was completely blown away by it. I once had a, a, a rather stranger scenario where I was in a, a prayer meeting uh, and I was reminded in this prayer meeting of a conversation I'd had the day before about um, the, the sort of celebrity, whatever he is, David Blaine, um, the sort of magician chap. And um, I thought, well, we were talking about it yesterday. That's why I'm thinking about it today. So this is clearly irrelevant. But it kept, it kept sticking there. And I thought, unless I say this, this is going to keep interrupting our prayer time. So I said, look, I've got, I've got this picture. Uh, it's of David Blaine. He's walking on hot coals. Don't know what it's about, but I just need to get off my chest so we can keep praying. And, uh, and nobody responded. And I left thinking, that was embarrassing. I just shared a picture that had no relevance to this group whatsoever. And then about six months later, one of the girls in that group came up to me and said, I feel like I, I need to tell you that um, the day after that prayer meeting, I was due to have lunch with a man who happened to be called David Blaine and I knew that that relationship was heading in the wrong trajectory and it was going to get me into big trouble and when you said that I knew that I had to cancel that lunch and never see him again and I haven't 
And it was one of those moments where I thought, gosh, that was a word that didn't feel big to me. It felt irrelevant and stupid. It was one of those things that I probably wouldn't have said on another occasion. But actually, it potentially saved that woman's marriage. God speaks to demonstrate his personal concern for us. He speaks to intervene in our lives because he cares. And God speaks to give direction and courage. And that's what we see in the passage here with Elijah. Elijah, God gives Elijah specific instructions on how to redeem the situation that seems so hopeless. He's told exactly what he's to do and how he's to do it. And he sends him back the way he came, but with all kinds of instructions for anointing all kinds of people that are gonna, is going to turn things around. And again, today, this has been my experience. I remember um, before I took the job that I, I do now in, in setting up Spear, um, I knew that a career change was coming, but I didn't know that that was an option. Uh, but I really felt the Lord saying when I prayed about what to do, um, that his word for me was do nothing out of vain conceit and selfish ambition. And to be honest, the options at the time didn't feel very vain or ambitious. And so it was a really confusing word and one that I didn't understand. But when the final choice came between going to a big organization in a big role with a big team or going to work with terrifying hoodies in the back end of Hammersmith doing something that no one had worked out how to do yet, it became quite clear that my motivation for doing the first job was actually vain conceit or selfish ambition because of the particular circumstances around that job for me. And it was very clear to me that the Lord was calling me to do this ridiculous project. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that word. I'm so grateful that that word gave me the courage to do what felt like the harder thing at the time because it was so the right thing for me and has been such a blessing to me. So God speaks about many things and he's often very specific. So how do we listen? Can we all hear God's voice? Well, the answer to that is yes. All of us are called to cultivate the Christian grace of hearing God speak. The Lord's sheep know his voice. That's what we're told. And there are no exceptions to that rule. Yes, there are some that have a spiritual gift. I know there are many in this church that have it that enables them to hear more prolifically and accurately, but we all hear. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good. My sister, the mother of um, Lucy, she, um, she is still not a Christian, and uh, she texted me on Friday to ask me what I was doing this weekend. I said I was preparing this talk on hearing God's voice, and her reply came back. God's voice is everywhere. It's in listening, in my humble opinion. And I thought, that's a really good summary from someone who actually has no faith. <laughs> it's a really good summary of how this works. We hear God's voice by listening. Do we have the humility to listen? Are we expectant that God really is continuously pouring forth his word? As we read our scriptures, as we pray, as we engage in day-to-day -day life, we hear by listening. And it's as complex as taking a moment, 
closing your eyes, asking the Lord to speak, and daring to believe that what we hear is his voice. He's not cruel. He's our Heavenly Father, and like a Heavenly Father, he will answer. If you're wondering how much to give, ask him and believe that the figure he gives you is the figure you're meant to give. I guarantee it will be bigger than any figure you would come up with from your own imagination. It always is. But that's the way to do it. The challenge is to share what he's saying, however random it may seem. My David Blaine picture was embarrassing, really embarrassing, but it was powerful. It didn't feel big to me, but it was. And the challenge is to have the guts to share it. So isn't this a little bit dangerous, is the question I can feel coming my way. Um, Isn't this all a little bit risky? Well, yes, and there are some ways that we can be um, sure that it is God who is speaking. So what are the ways that we can be sure that it is him and not us, or and not Satan who's speaking? Well, firstly, his voice will never, ever disagree with Scripture. You must always test an impression that you have or a picture you have for yourself and for others um, against Scripture. It will never, ever contradict it. And only Scripture can establish doctrine. You will never establish doctrine from a prophetic um, thought. Secondly, God's voice will never, ever condemn you. It may convict you of a particular sin. It will never, ever condemn. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You will never feel wretched after hearing God's voice. You will only feel hopeful in all of the redemptive power and the healing power that is available to you because he's spoken. If you feel wretched and worthless after being given a word or hearing a word that you think might be from God for you, it won't have been God speaking. God's voice always gives reassurance and direction and encouragement, and you need to learn to recognize it. The next thing I would say is, as a general rule, if you believe you've heard a word about marriage or birth, and certainly about death um, for someone else, always, always, always seek the counsel of a pastor before you even consider sharing it. Never talk about marriage, birth, or death to someone without checking with a pastor first. But always pray into it yourself. You don't have to share it with anyone. Always pray into it. And if you have a word for someone that is challenging, that is convicting, then check your own heart before you share it. Are you harboring anger or unforgiveness or resentment or a critical spirit that is filtering what you're hearing from God in a way that maybe is spinning it in a way that wouldn't honor him. It's really important that we deal with our own stuff when we hear God's voice. There's no doubt that operating in this, of daring ourselves to hear God's voice and responding to it for ourselves and for others, potentially can be a bit messy. There's a fantastic proverb I love which says, uh, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. But much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. (laughs) In other words, if you want a clean stable, don't get an ox. But if you've got work to do, you're going to need one, and it will make a mess. And 
I feel like that's how it works with hearing God's voice. You know, if you, if you want a clean and tidy church where nothing goes wrong and nothing really changes, then that's great. Don't bother about hearing God's voice. But if you do, then engaging with this stuff, daring to believe that God speaks, there's an awful lot that you can achieve. There's an awful lot that can be done in transforming people's lives in that. It takes a lot of boldness, and it takes a lot of grace. And we need to um, agree with one another that we will get it wrong a lot, and it might get a bit messy. We have to agree with one another that we're not going to be weird, that words like sayest are not going to feature in the way that we communicate with one another, that we humbly offer to each other what we think God might be saying, not what we declare he is. Like Elijah, we all need encouragement and direction and hope when the tough times kick in, and we know that they always do. And just like God was there for Elijah, he is there for us, constantly speaking, if we'll dare to believe it. The truth is, we don't live on bread alone. We need God's voice to survive, and we need to bless each other by hearing him for each other and being willing to step out and share what he's saying. It's because his voice is what carries the really transforming power. So let's use it. It's available to us. Let's use it. And let's enable him to transform us, free us, and love us using it. Amen.